your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Two wideouts to the left. Mills in the backfield with Martinez. Adrian gets the snap, gives it off to Mills. Mills picked away. He's to the 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30. Tight rope to the sideline, steps out of bounds inside the 30-yard line. Diedrich Mills has been a man today here in Lincoln. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. And we're here Thursday night, Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Thank you so much for spending a part of your evening with us here tonight. Busy afternoon for Husker Athletic Director Bill Moose. He sat down with both the Omaha World Herald and the Lincoln Journal Star to give them the latest update now that we know for sure that the Big Ten will no longer revisit playing football in the fall. Moose said that he has now been put on a committee that's being chaired by Wisconsin AD Barry Alvarez to try to piece together some kind of schedule to be played at the start of 2021, either January or maybe after the Super Bowl, Moose said. Uh, two different options that they're looking at. Doesn't think that they'll have a plan ready for several weeks. Uh, he said it's not a perfect plan. Obviously, you're not going to be able to have home games. You're going to have to play uh, in bubbles, uh, dome stadiums in the Midwest, uh, but that would allow the league to save some of their television revenue. As he said, there is no perfect plans, but, quote, our players want to play, our coaches want to coach, and our fans want to watch. The Dome idea, Moose said, is somewhat predicated on the NBA's true bubble in Orlando. Quote, the NBA is playing in a non-traditional season in a bubble with no fans, and today nobody cares. Their TV ratings are terrible. Uh, Moose his concern is that if the, and this is mine too, if the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC get their seasons done in the fall, that the country will have the, had their fill of college football by January. And he said, and now we're supposed to come in and keep them excited. I don't know if that's possible, but again, the players can play and the coaches can coach, and I guess that part of it is good. Benny went on to talk about the financial strain on the department. He said, as of right now, he does not have any plans to cut any of the varsity sports out of the budget for the year. He said, I have never cut a sport and don't plan on doing so. But he does say they are seriously looking at a reduction of their staff uh, to get them through uh, these tough times. He also said that among the athletic directors of the Big Ten, it was unanimous to try to play a fall football schedule, but that their vote wasn't the one that counted. It was obviously ultimately the presidents and the chancers. So a lot of meat there from Bill Moose today. Um, about a 45-minute chat with the Omaha World Herald and Lincoln Journal start today. What What grabs you on some of those headlines? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the first thing is is kind of the last thing that you said there about about the vote. Um, you know, I think that that kind of confirmed maybe what we thought that not every university was on the same page with, you know, the top down in terms of, you know, who's in charge and who's who's putting the votes out. Um, thankfully, Nebraska was one of those schools, and everybody's visions kind of aligned. However, that wasn't the case around the league. So I think that kind of confirmed our suspicions there. And, um, you know, if there was ever a doubt, Greg, that, you know, where that disconnect happened, it stopped with the athletic directors. And if you're to continue to go down the line with the coaches and the players, I mean, I I would guarantee you all the coaches wanted to coach and 
uh, a high, very high percentage of the players would want to play. So the, the disconnect came from those that voted down to the athletic directors. I think that's kind of where that disconnect elsewhere around the league. Again, not talking about Nebraska because it was pretty clear that everybody was on the same page. Um, I think the dome thing's interesting. Um, you know, again, what's it going to look like whenever this season comes to be is a big question I have. And the the two big things that kind of sit with me are, number one, um, what Bill Moose said. I would echo that about, um, you know, how relevant would this be? How relevant would the situation uh, that's put in front of the Big Ten be around the country? I think that that's a big question. And to me, the biggest thing that I have, and I said this either last night or the night before, is would this season put you more at a disadvantageous situation for future years? I understand the short-term gain of wanting to play some games, right? You you want to save your eligibility. You want your players to be able to play. You want your coach to be able to coach. Maybe suck some TV money out of it. I understand all that. But competitively, is this going to put you further behind the eight ball for future years, starting next fall, starting the fall after that? Um, I think that that would seriously need to be looked at. And, and I don't know the answer to it. It's not like I'm sitting here saying that, by playing this season, the Big Ten is going to be hamstrung for three or four years. I'm not, I don't know that that's the case. But if you do some analyzation, analysis and say, this is, this, is, this is a real possibility, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is this one year, is this six-game schedule with no championship, um, you know, the lack of TV, all those, the lack of TV numbers, all those, you know, questions that you have, the, all those potential risks, are they worth playing when you could start fresh in 2021? I don't know the answer to that, but it's something that I think about. And if it means that the Big Ten could start fresh in 2021, like everybody else, and, and you can keep the same schedule and you know still try and go play in Ireland, s- still compete at that level, have enough time for your guys to be healed up, um, you know, then, then I think that's something you got to look at. So those are kind of my big concerns with it. Again, I applaud every every bit of effort that's going into this. Possible scenarios, schedules, where are you going to play, testing. Pro- I appreciate all that, and 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 I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you weren't t- turning over every stone. So, I'm I hate to say it, but I'm kind of in the middle right now. I just I don't know how realistic it is to say we're going to tee a ball up in January and how relevant it's going to be. No, I, I totally agree with you, and I think you they have to be making these preparations. But to me. If those other three leagues are able to pull it off, it changes the dynamics. And Bill Moose said it as much there. Maybe the country will have had their fill of college football if they've watched those three leagues along with the AAC, the Sun Belt, and Conference UFA. If they all play their games, there'll be quite a bit of college football available to fans in September, October, November. And then maybe some postseason play out of some of those and maybe a college football playoff. And then here comes the Big Ten and, and maybe perhaps the Pac-12. I, I, yeah, it's kind of like how, how, much, how excited do you get for the XFL after the NFL finishes? I mean, you might watch one week and then you're like, yeah, I'm kind of ready to watch a different sport. I'm ready for college basketball. I'm ready for March Madness. I'm ready for that stuff to get going. So I think he's got that in the back of his mind. But they do have to prepare for this because – and there's a giant question mark whether those conferences can actually 
play this fall and finish it and do it. I mean, it. I don't even know that it's 50-50 that they do accomplish that this year. It's probably less than that. So if they fall apart and they're in the same boat now as you, you'll have a huge head start on kind of preparing and getting ready to do something come January. So to me, you got to do the work. you got to get prepared for it. But then you got to watch what happens with those other three leagues. I was really relieved to hear him say, as of now, and I know they've been working on this for probably a week now since the announcement by the commissioner last week that they are not planning on cutting sports. And I'm, there's got to be some relief people that run those sports on campus, the coaches, the athletes that are part of that. Uh, it does sound like there's going to be a staff reduction. I hate that because when you and I are both friends with a lot of people that work over there and were when they eliminated some, some positions back in June. So it's kind of, you know, the mixed bag. He does admit they're going to have to reduce staff, but he's going to keep the, all the sports intact. It's kind of a mixed bag there, but uh, that's the first glimpse we've gotten of how he's thinking moving ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i imagining looking at the budget numbers and, and trying to figure out where you cut and, and where you don't. And, and this might be a terrible analogy, but when your iPhone fills up with storage, Where's the first place you look to start deleting? It's the stuff that fills up the most space, right? Same thing with a budget. I mean, what's what's taking up the most money? And it's your sports and it's your staff and it's and that's kind of where you start. And, you know, similarly to when you're going through your phone to try and delete stuff, it's like, okay, um, do I need these videos? Do I need these pictures? Do I need these these text messages? Do I need these these apps? You know, it's... And, and you wish you could have it all. I mean, you like your iPhone the way it is. You don't want to have to get rid of anything. But the thing that makes this difficult, Greg, is this isn't you need, you know, half a gigabyte of space. This is like you got to delete more than half of your phone. And that's that's where it becomes frustrating. And, you know, you feel like you're just banging your head against the wall um, because you got to find the money somewhere. And, and you got to start cutting things some someplace. And... Um, you know, it stinks to hear that it's probably going to be, you know, at the benefit of some of our friends and people we've worked with for a long time. Um, but I don't know how you come up with 85% of your budget, you know, just laying around and, and try and get by if indeed cutting sports isn't an option. So I'm almost bracing for impact. Um, and not just with the staff reductions, but everything that the that the athletic department has to do to make it work financially for as long as it's going to cripple them. Um, one other note or two from his meeting with the Omaha World Herald and the Lincoln Journal Star today. Uh, he said he expects the NCAA to have a strong, workable plan for men's and women's basketball this winter. The season is set to begin in early November with practice beginning late September, although reports have suggested that the start of the season could be moved back for a bubble-type environment between Thanksgiving and January. Moose's quote was, that's where their revenue comes from. They had no March Madness last year, and the NCAA needs to pay their bills and to pay us. So it makes sense on the basketball side. And they've got a little bit more breathing room, not a lot. How it's going to shape up or look is still to be decided. He also mentioned, Ben, um, they obviously are in a hiring freeze, and he says, despite that, we are hiring two more sports psychologists to uh, help our student-athletes through this rough time, particularly the ones in the fall that have had their seasons canceled. So he says, we are adding 
two psychologists to our staff, even while we're looking at a staff reduction in other areas. A fascinating read again at both uh, the Lincoln Journal Star and the Omaha World Herald have stories posted now from their sit down with Bill Moose. Uh, from earlier today. All right, busy show tonight. Teddy Greenstein is going to be here in just a couple of minutes. He had a chance to talk one-on-one with Kevin Warren, the Big Ten's commissioner. We'll hear what his thoughts were about that conversation and more with Teddy coming up in a few minutes. In hour number two, our Husker Sports Podcast Department dropped a new one today, the Osborne, Osborne Option. Uh, we're going to talk about that, play a snippet for you. It's a terrific look back at Coach Osborne's offense and how it changed and was tweaked from decade to decade some terrific guests on there including turner gale our own steve taylor some clips from scott frost uh, and obviously coach osborne a big part of that as well uh, we'll play a snippet of that for you in hour number two we'll have our beyond the headlines segment tonight also in the second hour our face off coming your way in hour number three and we'll also hear from and this has been asked for by a lot of you we'll also hear from a gentleman from unmc to get his thoughts about this virus and some of the science behind some of these decisions that are getting made so a full show headed your way tonight here on sports honey phone lines are also available to you at 531-500-4686 that also doubles up as our u.s cellular text line u.s cellular the official wireless provider of husker athletics in the number 531-500-4686 if you want to be a part of the program. We're back with Teddy coming up next. We're back Thursday night. Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. And every Thursday we get a chance to chat with Teddy Greenstein from Chicago. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate. But his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Hello there. Anything uh, anything busy? Are you keeping busy? Anything happening in your world at all? I took the day off today, man. I played some golf. <laughs> I played at uh, I played at Bobo Link, which is Mike Ditka's home course. Played with the Northwestern golf coach, who uh, obviously was just crushing my my game. So uh, Thursday seems to be my golf day of late. You know, it worked out last night because obviously the open letter came down from Kevin Warren. We'd been waiting and waiting and waiting. I mean, over a week. What's taken so long to write that letter? So I think it answered some questions, but I think a lot of people still feel like it fell short. You had a chance to talk to the commissioner. What did you what what impressions did he leave you with? You know, he certainly felt bad about his interview with Dave Revson. He certainly felt like he didn't give enough information and he fell on his sword for that one. But he also felt like he was surprised with some of the criticism because he he said, "Hey, when you're taking the side of, you know, student health, safety and well-being, Why are you going to get such criticism? Well, the answer is because you didn't explain it well, and three of the Power Five leagues are still playing, and Nebraska certainly wanted to play. And in the state of Ohio, high school football is playing. Uh, Cincinnati, I believe, you know, Cincinnati. So it's like all these schools are playing, but Ohio State is not. So there are all these contradictions. Also, people find a contradiction with the fact that uh, his son Powers is a tight end in Mississippi State and plans on playing. Now, that one I really understand, because it's one thing for Kevin to be advising the Big Ten, you know, by saying, hey, 
you know, we bear financial liability here and we're in the midst of a pandemic and we can't take these chances. He really can't pull his adult son off the football field. Maybe he's tried. So I, I don't find that to be a contradiction. But I certainly understand all the people who say, wait a second, you know, at Iowa, why can't we play if Iowa State is playing? Why can't we play at Purdue if Notre Dame is playing? Although Notre Dame has paused practices. So I think ultimately all these other leagues will get to where the Big Ten is now, but at least they're trying, and that's the part that obviously rankles a lot of Big Ten people. You know, he did say that, that he, he's had a lot of family discussions with his son, and I think yes. you're, you're going to attend the parent rally that's going to be taking place at the Big Ten headquarters tomorrow. Those parents would say, well, you've taken that opportunity for me to have that kind of discussion with my student-athlete. You've taken away my ability to have that conversation that you've had with your son. Uh, that's an indisputable point. That's a great point. Um you know, I, I've been talking a lot with uh, Randy Wade, father of Sean Wade. Sean Wade is a potential top 10 pick in the NFL draft. He's a cornerback from Ohio State, Greg, as you know. Look, he I, I, obviously Sean wants to play this fall. I don't think he wants to play some January season that they're concocting or some spring season that probably also isn't going to happen. And that's right. Those players don't have the option that Powers Warren has. So I understand that they're upset. Um, but at this point, I kind of feel like it's pointless because Kevin Warren says this decision will not be revisited. You know, there was just such poor messaging around the decision. And then you've got Sandy Barber at Penn State saying, I don't even know if there was a vote. It, it, they really needed to get their ducks in a line. And I think some of it spoke to Kevin Warren's inexperience. Maybe the fact that he's such a quote unquote nice guy. Uh, you know, he didn't sort of put the hammer down and say, this is the deal. I don't care if anybody's complaining about it. This is the final decision. He probably needed to be more forceful uh, last week when he announced it. Do you, Matt, will he address the fan, the, the fans or the parents tomorrow, do you think? He will not. I asked him that, and um, he's like, our office has been closed since March. He works out of his uh, apartment in downtown Chicago, and that is certainly not going to change tomorrow. I mean, he could theoretically show up. But uh, I think it's unlikely. Randy Wade says, hey, we're at your front door. You know, why don't you talk to us? They make a good argument, you know. Um, talk to the parents. Explain it to them. I think Kevin feels like he's now explained it twice. And the first one didn't go well. The second one went okay. And that's probably all he owes them. And, you know, look, he looks at Notre Dame, North Carolina, and Michigan State. Mich Michigan State, as you know, Greg, is – Shut down. Uh, they're just going to have all virtual learning. Carolina's had an outbreak. I think they sent everyone home. Notre Dame is in a pause two weeks now where it's only online classes and, and they've suspended football. So I think he looks at those programs and says, this is what I was talking about. I know you don't like this decision, but this was the prudent decision. You, you alluded to the winter plan earlier. What kind of legs do you think that has to, to play in dome stadiums uh, after the first of the year? I, I just don't think it makes any sense. I don't think it makes any sense to say it's too dangerous to play in November, but we're going to have uh, a January season indoors. Look, I mean, if they want to try to play a half dozen games in March and April uh, after we hopefully have a vaccine, and if they want to call that the beginning, the first half of the 2021 season, and then you maybe play another 10 games in the fall, you know, I can see where that's viable, although I probably wouldn't be in favor of it. I mean, I kind of feel like Nick Saban does where it's going to be like JV teams where 
is it fair if Ohio State doesn't have its top 15 players? I mean, I have a lot of Northwestern fans who are saying this is great. We finally have an advantage. We only have two pro prospects. This could work out better. So I have my strong doubts that any of it will fly, but January to me doesn't really make much sense. And I think one of the Northwestern, the, the Slater kid has announced he is a, he's a, opting out. He's just going to get ready for the yes. NFL draft, and I think he won't be alone uh, around the league. Again, visiting with Teddy Greenside of the Chicago Tribune. Well, you're, you're crossing some teams off there in Chicago. The Bulls are done. The, the, they're making a coaching change. The Blackhawks have been eliminated. Kind of getting rid of some of those winter sports now, aren't you? I am. We are. But baseball's <laughs> looking good, as you yep. see. I mean, the White Sox have won, I think, four straight. Yep. Cubs had a little stumble. I covered their game last Friday. Ever since then, they were they were having a hard time, but now they've come back a little bit. Craig Kimball's pitching well, and obviously you don't have to have a great one-loss record this year to make the playoffs. So this will be really fun for a lot of folks if the Cubs and White Sox both make the playoffs. Uh, they have the talent to do it. They're in position to get it done. Uh, obviously baseball has had this problem now where, you know, outbreaks with three of the teams, but they keep soldiering on. Um, and look, I don't know if you saw my story about college basketball today, that looks promising. Um, I talked to four big 10 coaches. They all feel like college basketball is going to happen. So hopefully we'll have some, uh, games to watch starting over Thanksgiving. Fred Hoiberg might've been one of the ones that you talked to. I'm wondering if he's been keeping, <laughs> keeping an eye on the Bulls situation and the opening they have now. Was that, was that expected to make the move for the Bulls? It's been long expected. I mean, Jim Boylan is a nice guy, but probably over his head. I don't think the players had a tremendous amount of respect for him. He lost the fan base about 48 hours after getting the job. <laughs> he seemed more like a high school coach to some, like he would have them, you know, I don't know, doing calisthenics and jumping jacks and didn't exactly acquit himself as a, a veteran NBA coach. You know, Fred Hoiberg, meanwhile, I'm telling you, we've not, I don't know if we've talked about this. That guy will be a successful NBA coach one day. Hopefully he does great in Nebraska and he gets a good roster the kind of roster he didn't get with the Bulls. I absolutely believe he'll be a good NBA coach one day, but he is focused on college and he is bullish on this season. One thing he's pointed out to me, you know, in Lancaster County, there's been more deaths from the flu than COVID. So uh, Nebraska's in a good spot. Uh, I believe you mentioned that all but one player are living in the same kind of like apartment complex. So I think he's got a good feel for that. And um, I think these guys need to, to start playing over Thanksgiving break uh, when campuses will be empty. You know, it can basically form a natural bubble, play a bunch of games then, go till mid-January, and then, yeah, hopefully by then we'll have a vaccine. No doubt. All right, uh, you're on the golf course today. Are you going to be on the golf course covering an event next week? The FedEx Cup is underway. They're in Boston this week, coming your way next week. Yeah, I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be teaching Bryson a thing or two about uh, how to hit a long drive. Um, they will be down to Olympia Fields. <laughs> it's the top 70 on the PGA Tour, and uh, it's going to be a fascinating event. I mean, I have a media credential. I think there'll only be, I don't know, 70 or 80 people on the golf course. I think it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be obviously strange with no fans, but the access to the players and hopefully getting close and hearing the talking to their caddies and all that is going to be is going to be unique i hope to have that experience again at the masters but one thing at a time so yeah i'll be out there thursday through sunday obviously uh the first fedex cup event is this weekend in boston and then they'll uh trim it down and uh, have the top, top 70 going to chicago or actually you know 45 minutes south of chicago 
You, you've been a part of that world a lot in your career. Are you surprised they've had the kind of success coming out of this COVID as they've had? I would say I'm not surprised because we probably talked about this in April and May that golf is kind of the perfect COVID sport. Nobody has to touch anybody. You know, now people touch the flagstick somewhat and some courses have rakes. But in those early days, you did not have to get within six feet of anybody. And, um, you know, I think we've all seen those little foam containers in uh, in the holes. It lends itself beautifully for it. it the thing is, golfers are going to behave themselves because if they get ill, they can't play and they can't make any money. There are no guaranteed contracts on the PGA Tour. I mean, there's certainly some endorsement deals. But they must take care of themselves and stay COVID free to be able to play tournaments and make money. So, of course, they're going to, you know, they're going to follow the rules. No doubt. All right. Go get you a cold one. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Greg. Enjoyed it. Here we are, Thursday night, Sports Sunday on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good day today. Thank you so much for spending some of your Thursday evening with us. Here are the numbers. If you want to be a part of the program, 531-500-4686. You can also text us at that very same number, 531-500-4686. That is our U.S. Cellular text line. U.S. Cellular, the official wireless provider of Husker Athletics. Exciting day for us today, Ben, is... The new Husker Sports Network original podcast, Osborne and the Option, uh, dropped today wherever you find podcasts. Uh, This is an incredible look back at Tom Osborne's offensive scheme from his early days as the OC under Bob Devaney uh, to uh, becoming the head coach, the transformation of the offense from more of a drop-back passer to the option offense. Uh, And we, we span a couple of different of eras with interviews within it. Uh, I know you've given it a listen. What uh, let the folks know your thoughts about this? Yeah, it's it's pretty phenomenal. And, and any time, of course, you talk about To or the option or you know the scoring explosion in the '80s or of course the glory years in the '90s, it gets people's attention. But I don't think anything like this has been done, or if it has, I'm not aware of it. Where you know it's a full investigation inside the mind of of Tom Osborne when it came to where the option came from, how he installed it, how he learned it, how it progressed, how it developed over the years, how he recruited to it, uh, and how it won him national championships. And so a lot of hard work went into this. Uh, obviously, Josh, Austin, Tim did a great job, and um, you know you voiced it as well. And we also have to give a ton of credit to Nate Rohr, who unfortunately isn't with us anymore Nate Nate put his blood sweat and tears into this thing and um, you know there was a lot of effort by a lot of people to get this thing done and it turned out fantastic I think the fans are really going to enjoy it it's an hour long but it sure doesn't feel that way I mean when you're listening to it you're kind of sucked in and if you're a fan of those ESPN documentaries that kind of take deep dives into things these Husker Sports Originals that we've put out already and this one's no different is it's well worth your time they really do turn out great once they're all edited together and uh and the final product's done but there, there's everything in here i mean um you know stories about how to first got into football to you know learning from coach devaney um you know how he got the head job where the option came from and of course hearing from guys like turner gill and uh our own steve taylor who played quarterback in that system and you know hearing some clips from coach frost as well just kind of hearing it all put together 
is pretty fantastic stuff. So I'm really, I'm really happy and proud of the guys for the effort they put together. As Ben mentioned, it's about an hour long, but we've pulled a snippet for you to kind of just whet your appetite. Enjoy this. In the month of March, when recruiting was over, we look at a lot of teams, some of the best football teams in the country that preceding year and what they were doing. And sometimes we'd even look at NFL films, and sometimes we look at high school films. Some of our some plays that we got were off of high school films, and so we uh, plagiarized and copied. And uh, they don't sue you when you do that in athletics. You know, you can do that. <laughs> and sometimes we we came up with stuff that we uh, thought of ourselves. And uh, everybody was involved. You know, Milt Teneper and Frank Solich and and uh, Ron Brown later on for Turner Gill. And uh, everybody had input. And um, sometimes a, a head coach will stifle creativity on the part of their staff and uh, shut people down and say, well, that's a bad idea, and pretty soon nobody will speak up. And uh, so we try to listen to everybody. The bouncer ruski was another one of the trick plays in Osborne's arsenal. Huskers in the eye, and Gill wants to throw it. He throws it on the ground out there to Fryer. And Fryer throws complete upfield down to the 15, to the 14, and it first down to the 14, and he threw a bouncer over there, a lateral pass. Turner Gill bounced it out to Irving Fryer, and Fryer hit Mitch Creek on the pass. Nebraska City took it to the 14. Well, we've heard of that play. They throw a lateral pass, and it bounces on the ground, picked up over there by Fryer, and Fryer hits Crank the tight end downfield of the 14-yard line. That was part of the, um, I guess, our everyday drills that I was always doing on the side and, and trying to get that done. So it, it came fairly easy. I think a little bit had to do with uh, the football part of it, but also the baseball part of it a little bit in me to being able to do things. Because playing sometimes a shortstop, I know the ball's a little different, but you had to kind of hit it there where it's going to come up in the right way. And, and so it worked out. Again, I'm going to say, you know, 95, 98% of the time in practice, it was pretty much done pretty well there. So excited about that play. I'm glad it worked. And uh, obviously it's one of those plays again I think that's a the brilliant mind of coach Osborne I'm saying yeah you say he ran he ran the ball he ran the ball he ran the ball but again he had some uniqueness about him and scheme wise again that's a scheme play uh again you can call it trick creation trick play whatever yeah <laughs> and all that but it's brilliant to be able to attack the defense not long after Gill graduated another perfect fit for Osborne's option attack arrived on campus out of Fresno California Steve Taylor Second down and long. Brinson in motion, left to right, out of the slot. And it's an option play or bootleg play. It's Taylor running the ball, 40, 45, 50. Has a block, 45, 40, 35, 30. Taylor's going to go all the way. Another one, another one. Touchdown, Steve Taylor. First and 10. Taylor again, wide open. Pelican, his second of the game. Five for Steve Taylor. Is a new Nebraska record. It was just fun. It was fun. It was innovative. Watching them run the option the way they did it because it wasn't the it wasn't your, your typical wishbone triple option, but you had many different versions of that out of the eye. And uh, you know, I was just captivated by what they were doing. I was watching. You know, I watched the '83, '84 Orange Bowl with Turner Gill, Mike Rozier, and Irving Fryer, and that that great offensive line. So, as a quarterback for my skills, I thought it'd be great. I wish we'd have thrown the ball more, but we didn't. But but you, you were able to run the football and feature your running abilities. And if you can throw it, you can throw it too. So it was just fun. It was innovative, and uh, it was just dynamic to watch. 
Steve Taylor looks for the five-man cowboy front, takes the snap, hands it off to Clark, cuts back left side, 30, 32, 33, 35, broke it, out across the 40, 45, he may go, 50, 45, 40, first place in scrimmage, 25, 20, 15, 10, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown! The first play from scrimmage. Third down, Nebraska with Clark in motion out of the power set. Bootleg right, run pass option. Taylor throws, touchdown to Milliken. Touchdown. They crushed you up so many different ways. The Cornesters do under the direction of Dr. Tom Osborne. What a genius he is in terms of offense in the college game. He has that defense spinning like a top, and he did that trip because he sent Oklahoma State off to its right side with most of the motion. Kenny Clark went out that way, and then it was a bootleg to the right side. And all of a sudden, as a defensive back, you just don't know which way to go. You know, ironically enough, the offense was hugely sophisticated in its own self because the passing game wasn't your traditional passing game. Then your option game wasn't your, your regular option game. And then the numerical system was totally backwards. You know, from Pop Warner up to, you know, high school, you know, you go two, four, six, eight, and then one, three, five, seven, nine are your gaps and your holes. Where Nebraska system one was one starting at the right and working your way to the left, nine. So I remember my freshman year, I went the wrong way half the times because of, just because of the system and the way it was. So that took a while to get accustomed to. But, you know, it, it was intimidating. I mean, there's a lot of offense. The playbook was pretty big. And obviously the quarterback, you know, you have to learn so much with the running game and also the passing game and everything. So, But uh, you knew you had your work cut out for you, and uh, it was going to take more than just being a great athlete to really be successful. I don't think that people realize that there, there were changes being made every year. A couple different plays here and there, different line calls, different pass patterns. So it wasn't like we were just totally static. But we did believe in what we were doing. We felt that I always try to look at the, our offense from the eyes of a defensive coordinator. What would give me the most trouble? Stopping a team. And I knew that if we had a, a pure drop-back thrower, we always felt pretty comfortable on defense because we could come after that guy, and there wasn't much he could do about it if we if we uh, got a good pass rush. And so we didn't want the one-dimensional quarterback. There's a snippet for you. Again, our new Husker Sports Network originals, Osborne and the Option. It dropped today where you find podcasts. Uh, if you can't find that, you want to get a link off of our Twitter account at Husker Sports. We've got the link there to pull that up and listen to it. A full hour. I think people love this one, Ben. They may listen to it multiple times just to go back and hear some of the old great highlights and hear Coach lay out some of that and hear from Turner and Steve and Scott Frost is in there as well. Uh, it's, it's just a great, great listen. Yeah, some terrific stories in there, um, you know, from all eras, all times. And, yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I'm really happy with the way that it turned out. And, yeah, just to, to relive those days while while you can and, um, you know, to hear, to hear it from Tom, too, to hear it from Coach Indeed. Osborne is just – it's a great thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's well worth your time. So find, find an hour and, and go check it out because it's worth it. You won't be disappointed you did. Great work by our team as well, as you mentioned earlier, putting that thing together. It's just, it's, uh, it is a terrific listen and highly recommend it. Welcome back, Sports Highly Thursday night. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin here, back in our studios, Tim Curran and Austin Orman. And time for tonight's edition of Beyond the Headlines, boys. That's right. We're going to kick it off here with a good one. 
Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer has been warned by Major League Baseball that he'll face disciplinary action if he wears his custom-made free Joe Kelly cleats. He shared images of on social media. The cleats say, of course, free Joe Kelly and feature a pouty-faced image of the Dodgers pitcher as well. Kelly, you remember, was given an eight-game ban for intentionally throwing at a couple of Astros. So whose side are you on here, Bowers or the MLB? Just an absolutely epic troll job by by Trevor Bauer. Um, he is not a uh, I don't even know how to put this. A fan of the uh, the leadership of Major League Baseball at all? He's gonna wear them. I, I mean, I, it's probably gonna be what a fine. I would imagine some kind of fine would be what what he would bear. But yeah, it, I saw a photo of those cleats on Twitter. I thought they were they were pretty pretty epic. And yeah, I look forward to uh, him displaying those on the on the diamond. And boy, has he been unbelievable this year. He leads the majors in ERA. He, two-hit shutout yesterday of the Royals he is just absolutely dominant right now in Major League Baseball you know he he likes to push the envelope and he is citing a Major League Baseball policy that was put out before they restarted the season allowing guys some freedom to do some things I think to talk about social injustice well he believes this is an injustice to Joe Kelly and so he's like okay but so that kind of injustice is okay but I can't uh, support a fellow player who I believe is being punished improperly. Uh, fair point. Did you guys see last night? He, he had a last year in, in an appearance when he was with Cleveland in Kansas City. He threw the ball over the center field wall. Remember that? Everybody remember that? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Well, last night, so he finishes off his complete game, shot out last night in Kansas City, and he's unbuttoning his shirt. And it has something about it, it's related to him throwing the ball over the wall from last year. And I can't. I was trying to find it on Twitter. What it said as he pulled the shirt off. Uh, I think so it said he send it. I think send or, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, and it was relation to him throwing the ball over the wall last year in Kansas City. So that's the kind of guy he is. I'm on Team Bauer. I think I like his free will, free spirit that he has. He is definitely not afraid to rock the boat in yeah. any sense. Um, so, yeah, uh, do you, buddy, especially when you're pitching the way that you are? Shoot, go for it. Um, I, I, Slugger, the Kansas City mascot, had a pretty epic uh, sign out in center field, too. I can't remember what it said, but it said something like Bauer Target or something like that, and he was holding it up in center field while he was pitching. But we know who got the last laugh yesterday. He was awesome. Ben, how does it make you feel that Trevor Bauer t- treated the outlaw season like a warm-up season? He was like Jekyll and Hyde in SNBL. There were some days where he was so good, and then other days where it was just I, I couldn't even watch it. I had to just turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll stick with apparel and uniforms for topic number two. So just yesterday, LeBron James shared an image of himself in the uniforms for the Toon Squad, uh, the new jerseys for the upcoming Space Jam sequel. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on these new jerseys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they don't move me one way or the other. I, I will go see the movie, I think. I'll probably go take that in when it comes out. But uh, you guys know I'm not the the most avid uniform cop or <laughs> fashion I'm, expert. I'm pretty indifferent, to be honest with you. I mean, I, a lot of people wanted to hate it and bash it. I, I'm not that strict on it. I'm not that, you know, against it. But I, I don't know. I I didn't want them to remake Space Jam in the first place, but, you know, I guess we'll, we'll see. 
I mean, the Monstars were, were pretty deflated after the first one and were quick to jump ship over to the Toon Squad team and trying to, you know, prove to Bugs Bunny that they were worth spots on their roster. Yeah. So I don't know how this is going to work I mean, out. no matter how ugly the uniforms may or may not be, they can't be more egregious than Hollywood's tendency to just reboot crap that's 20 years old and just try. I mean, like, look at what Disney Plus did with Mulan. They rebooted Mulan. They throw it on Disney Plus for a $30 rental. A rental. You can't even buy it. It's 30 bucks to rent. It's like this is just getting out of hand with all this stuff. Which okay. brings me on to topic number three. Uh, ESPN's come out with a list of college football teams that Pac-12 and Big Ten fans should root for this season, assuming, of course, that they can actually pull that thing off in the fall. ESPN picked Iowa State as a team Cornhusker fans should be pulling for this fall. Do you guys buy mm. the Husker fans should should pick the Cyclones? Or do you guys think there's another team out there on your guys' radar that I, that you'll cheer for? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can go get one of your old rivals. I don't think you can do that. Now, you know, we heck, we had a call. Caller in the first hour that talked about he went to Iowa State but roots for Nebraska. Um, if I'm going to pick somebody, it's probably going to be somebody on one of the coasts or down south in the ACC or something like that that I might go be a mini fan of. But I'm not picking some of one of Nebraska's old rivals. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, I can't see. I can't see how anybody in the Big 12 would be somebody that Nebraska would root for. I'm with Greg. It's got to be. It's probably most likely a team in the ACC. Or, or someone in the SEC that could take down Bama or LSU or even Florida for that matter. So I've always kind of been, been a, a closet Bulldog fan, so I'll, I, I'll, I'll be a Team Georgia this year. Oh, see, I, I, mean, I, I thought maybe you'd go Mississippi State. I thought that may be the team, your team now. Nope. <laughs> How about you Pirate's guys? an interesting guy and all that, but. You rode the FAU train with Lane Kiffin a couple of years you did, ago. You did, you did. on the old Miss bandwagon. He, yeah, right. those. Those, those, that train got derailed. I don't think that yes. that train ever left the station. <laughs> How do you two feel about that? Well, see, I mean, my sister actually did go to Iowa State, so that would be that'd be one potential. I mean, I'm not a Cyclones fan by any stretch, but I could see it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, at least with the Big 12, you, you have some, I don't know, you have an old conference sense for the Big 12, so I'd make me more inclined to pay attention to the Big 12 than just pick some random ACC team, or even gross, I mean, Georgia. I mean, I don't know where you're getting that from, Ben. I don't <laughs> well, like that got at against all. Georgia? What have they ever done to anybody? Well, we, Nebraska played them uh, back in, what, 2014? Nebraska's was, played a heck of a lot of very, teams, I, still, The grudge <laughs> is still out, Ben. Come on. I think you, you of any of all people, should understand grudges are okay him. to hold. We beat, we beat them, them, Tim. We beat them the last time we played them. We were 1-1 one and one against No, I thought them. it was 1-1. One one. I'm, I'm still yeah. holding on to that loss. So, you know, it's just <laughs> it Iowa State beat Nebraska 9-6. to six. We turned the ball over that, seven okay, times. That was, you, you tell me which one's worse. I, I'm triggered now that you brought that up. <laughs> I mean, but I think Nebraska's also steamrolled Iowa State enough for that one to, to not hurt as much, but there you go. That's you know, I, ha- I have thought about this a lot. Will, will, will Husker fans adopt somebody for the year? I, I don't know. Probably not. But if you're going to watch some games, um, maybe you get pulled into somebody. I, I, maybe that's a Twitter poll, not tonight necessarily, but at some point in time, if we get closer and it looks like somebody's going to play games, Maybe we maybe we open that up as a Twitter poll at some point in time. Yeah, good point. The one Austin, are you in on anybody? I mean, I did do a little bit of stumping for Iowa State in our preseason top twenty-five. Meeting. You did. Um, I think we maybe owe him a little bit of a thank you for Fred Hoiberg to an extent. The one that really grinds my gears is Sporting News said Nebraska should cheer for Missouri, which I cool. don't see that ever happening. Not ever. So you know, I'm I'm just going to watch college football for what it is. I'm not going to. You know, root for one team or another. I'll just watch the college football that's on, I guess. 
I would rather root for a tie than root for Missouri. My sentiment, exactly. Well, we're going to go off the rails here with uh, topic number four. So earlier Great. this morning, the Nebraska State Patrol reported that a tank was left unattended <laughs> uh, by the Overton on-ramp near mile marker at 257 on I-80. I knew I forgot something. <laughs> Supposedly, this tank was left there by a driver contracted to haul it back to South Dakota as it belongs to the South Dakota National Guard's engineer company. So what would it take for you guys to leave a tank unattended, and would you have tried to drive off in it had you known about this before now? <laughs> I don't how know that I know how that? to drive a tank, to be honest with you. How funny is that? That people are driving by and go, "It's a tank sitting right there." I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, what, well, there's got. I can't wait to hear the story. Why the guy left it? I mean, obviously he had a vehicle breakdown or something that he had to go. Well, then get he just the unhooked it. I mean, yeah, and then just left. Left, just gone, just up and left. I would think the treads on a tank would just absolutely destroy the highway. <laughs> Like, I can't imagine that that would go very well. But oh, I mean, they're, they're built to go on anything, so... I, mean, I, I know, but I think the road would be destroyed. Could be, a little bit. Um, wouldn't that be funny, tootling down somebody's street in that thing? <laughs> hey, guys! Yeah, <laughs> driving a tank around. Stand, standing out the top of it. I can't f- imagine it was too difficult to hunt down whose tank it was. Like... It is pretty I can't imagine there's very many of those registered in the state of Nebraska. <laughs> how far do you think you guys could drive a tank? I don't know. I don't know that I would know how to operate it. I'm, I may not have trouble getting it started, if I'm being honest. All right. Well, with that, we've got to move on to our next topic. One of you guys' beloved Kansas City Chiefs, Bashad Breeling, got slapped with a four-game suspension, but... Interestingly enough, he took to Instagram to apologize, which isn't abnormal, but he did opt to use one of his old rap videos as part of his apology working in his, his side hustle of his. Do you guys approve of that kind of mea culpa tactic using your, your rap game to, to help apologize for your actions, or is that a little bit uh, out there for you guys? It's creative. That's <laughs> one thing. He put, out, he put out more of an apology in a rap video than the entire Houston Astros did, so I don't really <laughs> see is. what the problem is. There you go. Uh, you know, he's, I mean, he, he put out a statement too. It's not like he just he did know, the rap. Yeah, did a rap thing. He yeah. put out a, a statement and now, pardon you know, me, Ben. I didn't mean it. to mischaracterize Mr. Breland's remarks. I mean, I haven't heard an apology from TB12 about deflating footballs or getting caught on. That's video because and that's because the NFL and Roger and Goodell's that. corrupt. There's no apology needed. <laughs> Roger Goodell's corrupt. Pot meat kettle. Nope. <laughs> That it's it was a natural process due to the cold climate. That's what I've been told, and that's mm-hmm. what I'm sticking to. Okay. Austin, I think he's pretty creative. I mean, I, I give him props for being creative and kind of hanging a, a talent out there that may not be up to par. I don't mean, some people maybe thought he's pretty good, but <laughs> I, I give him props for hanging it out there like that. I, one way to get remembered. Can't sure. You know, you know can't argue with that. All, all attention's good attention, right? Yes. All right, topic number six. This is vaguely soccer-related. I know Brett's not on this broadcast. We won't actually ask you a soccer question. But earlier today, French uh, police in Marseille announced that they're banning citizens of the town from wearing PSG colors on Sunday as PSG is in the Champions League final and Marseille is their rival. So which American towns do you guys think would be the first to ban their rivals' colors on game day if they could get away with it? Yankees, Red Sox. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty lethal there. Could see like uh, I mean even Ohio State Michigan I, yeah yeah Miami Florida State Auburn Alabama Would yeah Nebraska any of those ever really... ban maroon 
You know, it's so close to our scarlet. I mean, it's, you know, it's a slight tinge different, so I don't know that we really would apply to that. Uh, maybe we'll get to the point where we ban black and gold with Iowa. Possible. What about, like, get... A&M Texas? That comes to mind, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right, any, we... of those, any of those really good rivalries, you could certainly see that happening. Yeah. We close out with a uh, with a good one, gentlemen. I hope you guys got a good response we'll, we'll, here. We'll be we'll be the judge of that. Uh, Cle- <laughs> Cleveland Browns cornerback Kevin Johnson lacerated his liver in practice today after a teammate fell on him. So, with that in mind, gentlemen, what's the worst injury you guys have ever sustained, sports related or otherwise? I mean, I, breaking I, a I, toe, getting a bottle at four a.m. Yeah. is <laughs> the, the most traumatic thing for Ben ever. I pole vaulted in high school. I broke my wrist oh. pole vaulting. What on the uh, on the up? Did you like land on it funny, or was no, it just I was trying the, to? I was trying to get on a bigger pole, the bigger pole, and I didn't get. I wasn't going to get to the pit, and I came straight down in the box, head first. So I embraced myself Ouch. and broke my wrist. Oh. Well, I think the real question, though, Greg, do you still break out the, the, the pole every once in a while, still yeah. trying your vaulted, are your vaulted yeah. days over? Oh, They're, they're over. That, that's yeah. unfortunate. That's unfortunate. I would say uh, breaking a bone in my back in high school was pretty, well, yeah. pretty rough. That's a little bit more um, than the toe. <laughs> let's see. I had a concussion. Got a concussion. That was pretty rough. Like getting woken up every hour to make sure you don't get into a coma is no fun. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. only fun. Those are the ones that kind of jump out. Jump How did you me. get the concussion? Um, in recess, actually, we were playing basketball, and ran into- I went up for a layup, and some dude <laughs> took my ankles out, and I landed right on my head. Oh, mm. so it's a yeah, brutal way. No you guys playing prison rules, basketball, or something? I don't know. Yep. How about Apparently, you two boys? Any any injuries for? Tim or Austin? Yeah, no, I'm 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 pretty soft uh, individual, but the worst injury I ever got was when I was in oh I think fifth grade. Someone dropped a bike pole, and so that what what the, you know like how where people park their bikes. There was uh, at the elementary school there's construction going on, so they had a bunch of loose parts for this this assembly of where you would park your bike, and so, and so these kids were messing around, and they just dropped the pole straight on my foot. It just tore my foot wide open, and I had to get stitches in it. And uh, that was pretty painful. I don't think I've ever, like, I've never broken a bone. Because even when I played sports, I mostly rode the bench. So I wasn't really in danger <laughs> of, of putting my body in the line. But I, I, I think I rolled an ankle in, like, eighth grade football, but it wasn't too bad. But, yeah, that, that foot getting gashed open was not a pleasant experience. I bet. Austin? I, I, uh, so this was my junior year of high school. It was preseason basketball weightlifting. I, I had about... 250 on the squat rack for a warm-up and as i went back i tripped and i got my right index finger caught between oh. all the weight on the side oh. of the bar and the side of the rack and Ouch. i ended up oh. like completely shattering the bone in the bottom of my finger oh. and i tore the extensor tendon three quarters of the way through um had i torn it all the way through oh. I, they would have had to like put something in there to help me straighten my finger again and even to this day i can't fully straighten it on its own so we yeah. can never be number one we can only ever be number half so uh, all right, no. too much information. <laughs> Turn so, the mic off. The worst I got. Oh, yeah. It gives me the willies thinking about that. <laughs> I got pictures if you ever want to see sometime. No, thanks. No. <laughs> Keep that to yourself. All right, good stuff. By the way, Jim and Sumner says the tank is still on the trailer. So, oh, okay, good. So the guy just I'm glad the guy just the... didn't unhook the, the tank from the trailer and take no. the trailer with him. 
No. So obviously he had issues and he had to go get his truck fixed or something. But uh, thanks for but, letting us know that. That was, that that is a was a big mysterious piece to this puzzle. Yeah, I saw pictures on on Twitter earlier today of the tank sitting there. Uh, that, that's just quite a story. So hopefully South Dakota is sending a rescue mission to get their yes get their tank get their tank back. Here we are, hour three, Thursday night sports only on the Husker Sports Hour. Hope you had a good day today. Coming up this hour, we'll have their face-off here in just a couple of minutes. Get back into that. We had to move that from Wednesday to Thursday with the return of Bicel last night. Great to have that back after a five-month hiatus. And uh, we're going to hear from Dr. Mark Rupp from UNMC. He has been in the middle of all this uh, pandemic that everyone is dealing with, and he'll give some thoughts about that. Tim Kern had a chance to catch up with him, so we'll have that for you later on in the hour as well. But let's get this hour underway with the face-off. It's time for face-off. They score! It's a face-off! Let's go. Mano You, me, right here. Right now. Now, here are your hosts, Tim Curran and Austin Orman. That's right, folks. Welcome into America's favorite game show, dare I say. Or at least my favorite game show, and that's good enough. It's the face-off. On a Thursday... Gentlemen, I hope you are ready. I have a couple doozies. Now, I, I I will warn you. I crafted a handful of these myself. The difficulty level has been ratcheted up. Oh, I expect ooh. some tears. I expect yeah, I some tears. I just can't wait for we when we turn it around back on you, Tim. Oh, and, okay. And let you <laughs> try and answer these. If, uh, if they're Tom Brady related, I'm okay. If you're outside of the Brady realm, I, I might I might flounder. But or German horror films. Well, yeah. <laughs> Tim's number one in the country on that. Yeah, I'm, I, I pace the, the rest of the country in, in German horror. Well, without further ado, we will dive right into question numero uno. Coming from Nebraska football, gentlemen, who are the top four punters by career punting average in Nebraska football history? Ben. All right, Ben, you may go ahead. How about Darren Erstad? Show me Darren Erstad. And no, I'm sorry. Darren Erstad is, is not, not on the list. Would Sam you like Cook. To... All right. Show me Sam Cook. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Number two on the list with 44 yards. All right. Pass or play? I'll play. Okay. Alex Henry. All right. Show me Alex Henry. No, sir. Good guess. But not on there. That's... Sam Fultz. Show me Sam Foltz. No, unfortunately, very close. He was very, very close. But Foltz did not quite make the cut. Did not quite make the cut. So that gives us, oh, what? I'm down to one strike left. Yeah, I think you're, yeah. Man. Yeah, this is pretty difficult. I thought for for sure Alex Henry would be on there. Yeah, me too. I I think he was all conference. But sadly, not on there. Well, what say you? Um, I'm missing somebody pretty obvious, I think. But um, Brett Maher. Survey says Mr. Maher's on there. Wow. Surprised he was and Alex wasn't. 
Yeah, had I done Let's had go. I done top ten, it would have been a lot easier. But so um, one one left. Two, you got two left. two left. You got you got Sam. You got Brett. And you got two left. You're missing the first, the number one overall leader, and the guy in third. Don't have one. Buzz me. All right. <laughs> and uh, Ben, uh, take another stab at it. Kyle Larson. Uh, show me Kyle Larson. Why, yes. Yes, indeed. Kyle Larson is on there. Ben wins. And Ben wins. Ben wins that Who's category. the other one? Uh, other one was in number one, Dan Haydenfeldt. 44.5 yards. I believe he played in like the 97 to like 2000 kind of era there. So, yeah, he was number one, just barely beating out Cook. But, yeah, you're right. Like, there's guys like Isaac Armstrong, guys like Sam Foltz, who are kind of more recent, who are in that top ten conversation, but they just kind of missed out on that top four cut. But it is Mr. Hayden Feltz, who is numero uno. So Ben swoops in to steal the first category, move on to category number two. We ask you guys to name the top five career batting average leaders among active MLB players. Ben. Ben's in first. Mike Trout. Show me Mike Trout. That's a gimme. Pass or play? I'll play. Ben's playing. Jose Altuve. Show me Jose Altuve. Okay, those are the two obvious ones. How about Charlie Blackman? Show me Charlie Blackman. That's my SNPL left fielder. Hey, hey. Just under 500 <laughs> this year. He is on the list. Two left. So this is just active career? Mm-hmm. Yep, active That's correct. players okay. that are the top five in career batting average. Okay. Yeah, two left. Um, hmm. I guarantee you've heard of these guys. How about DJ LeMayhew? Show me DJ LeMayhew. DJ is not on the list. Active batting average. Okay. How about Joey Votto? Show me Joey Votto. All right, one left. You're missing the number one. Oh, boy. Your active leader in batting average. Got two through five. Two strikes Number left one. to get the, the top batting average player. Man, I would have thought Trout would have been that. Man, I kind of feel like that was the obvious one. I mean, I don't know what qualifies. Does Fernando Tatis qualify? Show me Fernando Tatis. Yeah, no, he does not. Yeah, I will say strike. it's not a it's not a young pup. It's 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 you have to have a certain amount of reps in. So Tatis uh, would not meet the cut, but we buzzed you nonetheless. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Just figure I'd keep you on your toes. Um, last guy, last guy even got on my mind. Uh, there, well, there's two really. Um. Man, I don't know which one to go with. Um, God, I don't know which one to pick. I, they, they both might be wrong. Um, I'll just say uh, Blackman's teammate, Nolan Arenado. Show me Nolan Arenado. Wah, wah. Well, right, I guess Greg, Greg has a chance to steal. Open. I'm going to go with um, Tim Curran's Paul Goldschmidt. <laughs> Show me Paul Goldschmidt. <laughs> 
I was wish. It, uh, was it Freddie Freeman? No, no, it was sir. Not Freddie Freeman, similar position. Miguel Cabrera. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So in order, Cabrera is hitting 314 in his career. Altuve 312, Blackman 307, Votto 306, and Trout 305. Yeah, yeah. Should have got that. But I guess uh, what Ben wins by attrition, I suppose. <laughs> is that what we're doing here? Yeah. yeah. Greg didn't steal it. Learn That's the right. Rules. Well, <laughs> well. Geez. All right. Get my jump down my third here. I'm, Moving on to question number three. Who are the top three leaders in stolen bases on the 2005 Nebraska baseball team? Ben. All right, Ben, go ahead. Jesse Boyer. Show me Mr. Boyer. No, sir. No, sir. Good guess, but... Alex Gordon. Show me Alex Gordon. Great correct with Mr. Gordon. He had 23 stolen bases. He got two left. Um... Joe Simakaitis? Show me Mr. Simakaitis. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. One more. <laughs> How is Jesse Boyer not on that list? Nah, no he's kidding. not. No what can I tell you? What can I tell you? Mm. Although now I'm going to double check to see if I have the right. <laughs> yeah. Just got my bases. In segment fact checking. It's the best way to do it. I would have thought it was those three, but... Um, well, it could be. <laughs> wrote them down right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Daniel Bruce? Uh, show me Mr. Bruce. No, no, I will say you were close. If I remember correctly, Bruce was just outside there. I think he was actually fourth. You're missing the third guy, though. <laughs> Just a real barn burner. This question. No, no, I was correct. I was, I was still correct. Jeff Christie, show me, Mr. <laughs> Christie. He'll no, like sir. me. He'll like me for saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you got to guess lead next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's leader in some categories. Stolen bases is not one not, of them. Not I'm afraid. One of them, yeah. Sorry, All right. So man. that was a third strike there. I guess. Ben oh, already gave got one no, more, I ben thought. Guessed boy, or Greg has oh, that's correct. Sorry, you're right, you're right. There's been three strikes, just been all the great. Greg got one more shot. Yeah, it is buzz me. All right. <laughs> Greg has been buzzed out. Ben, you wanna you wanna take another stab? Well yeah. I'm not gonna punt. <laughs> Alright. Um, is it Ryan Worley? Is it Ryan Worley? That's a good guess, but it is not. Who is it? It is Mr. Brandon Fusilier with 14. Fusilier? Fusilier. I should. I was going with like the French pronunciation. Man, I would not have got that. Where was Boyer on that list? Boyer, let's see. Well, they only get the top four on the stats I'm looking at. Stolen bases. Da Daniel Bruce was fourth place with nine. Okay. But Fusilier, Simakaitis, and Gordon were the rest. Mm. So. Okay. Tisk tisk. Well, Greg's on the board here. Ben's still up 2-1 to one overall. Moving to question at number four. Can you guys name the top five career assist leaders in NBA history? Ben. Ben's in. I'm Ben. John Stockton. Show me John Stockton. Too easy. Are you going to pass the assist question or are you playing it, Kobe? Uh, I'll play it. You just gave him one of the answers. <laughs> um, Magic Johnson. Show me Magic Johnson. Um, 
about Isaiah Thomas? Show me Isaiah Thomas. Good, good guess, but me ain't top five. Not on the Dream Team or top five list. Rough Ultimate going. snub. <laughs> um, Jason Kidd. Show me a Jason Kidd. Back on track. Is he still coaching? Uh, I don't think so. He got so. fired from the Bucks a while ago. Okay. Yeah. Although he might be an assistant right now with the Lakers, yeah, with maybe. The Lakers. Yeah. Oscar Robertson. Show me Oscar Robertson. Man, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what year they started keeping assists. Because I was thinking some guys in that era, and I don't know if they did it that far back, but I don't know. No, Obama. although I will say I didn't. I didn't include any ABA guys on. I could have done that, but yeah. there was a separate list for that. It's just National NBA. Basketball Association. All right, so two left, and Ben, you're down to your last strike here. I believe it was mid '60s. I'm not sure on that. Okay. That's when they started. Steve Nash. Show me Steve Nash. Man, I was hoping you'd forgotten him. <laughs> you got one more. I have no idea. I'll just buzz you anyway. Trigger. <laughs> that was a quick trigger, but okay. Felt good. I wouldn't have come up with it. All right. Well, Greg. Well, since you're saying mid-60s, add some guys into the category for me. How about a guy like Tiny Archibald? Show me uh, Tiny Archibald. Yeah, I can fairly confidently say it's not Tiny Archibald. <laughs> You guys are gonna kick yourselves, I think, a little bit. It's not, it's not, it's not obvious, but it's. I think you guys will recognize the name for sure. Mark Jackson is number four. Hmm. Ended his career one assist yeah. behind Steve Nash, or Steve I, Nash passed. I wouldn't have got one. it right. No yeah. way. Obviously, yeah. know the name, but so. no. All right, Ben, that's a three-one lead. Not quite insurmountable, but it's getting there. Uh, question number five: Which four NFL teams have won at least five Super Bowls? Ben. All right, Ben, go ahead. Patriots. Did it hurt to say the Patriots? Why, yes, you're right. <laughs> With six Super Bowls, the New England Patriots have, yes, more than five. Play. Okay. The Cowboys. Show me the Cowboys. All right. Yeah, two 49ers. More. Uh, are the 49ers on there? Yes, they are. With five. Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Pittsburgh Steelers. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Now, I believe that that would make Ben this week's champ. Wasn't there one left? No, no, you're, you're good. Four teams, five Super Bowls. Yeah, four teams, five Super Bowls. Oh. Look at nice. that. Swept the category. Pretty impressive. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was maybe the easiest one of the night. That was way easier than the assist one. Yeah, feel, feel Mark proud. Jackson, that, uh, I Mark Jackson. I would never have come up with no. I mean, Gary Payton. I mean, Chris LeBron. Paul. Chris Paul. All those guys I would have put way ahead of that yeah yeah Mark well Jackson wow didn't think he had that good a good a career me neither <laughs> me uh-huh. neither yeah uh. welcome back in ladies and gentlemen the sports nightly tim curran here for you on a thursday night and we're delighted really now to be joined by mark rupp a doctor at the nebraska medical center who's an inf- expert in infectious diseases doctor how are you doing tonight I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me on the program. Well, absolutely. Well, we obviously wanted to get you on um, 
due to the unprecedented circumstances that the country really is, is facing right now and and logistics and trying to play sports when there is a global pandemic going on. And so I, I really just wanted to ask very basically, in your estimation, uh, Doctor, can, can football be played with relative safety considering how coronavirus is spread? Well, I guess I would first start off by just uh, making note that um, physical distancing and football are diametrically opposed. I mean, it really is just an oxymoron. Uh, This is uh, clearly a contact sport in which, um, you know, the players are up in each other's faces, uh, breathing hard, expelling droplets. Uh, There's just no perfect way of playing this game in a totally safe way. Now, clearly, there are things that can be done, however, to make it safer, uh, but you're not going to remove all risk by any means. Recently, the medical community has discovered this link between COVID-19 and myocarditis, uh, which which might actually cause long-term heart damage and, and inflammation, rather inflammation, excuse me. Um, what, what do we know about myocarditis and, and how it's associated with, with COVID-19? Yeah, so, um, you know, the longer we have experience with this virus and the illness that it causes, the more we are learning some of the uh, manifestations of illness. And, uh, you know, this this is um, a virus that does trigger this inflammatory response um, in various tissues. I mean, initially it was thought that uh, this was, you know, completely confined to the respiratory tract, and that's why people got into trouble and that it was all, uh, you know, initially associated with the upper respiratory tract and then causes lower respiratory tract disease and pneumonia. Uh, but the, the more we understand, the more we look for it, uh, we know that this virus is multi-system. And one of the systems that it can involve is uh, the cardiovascular system. It can cause uh, inflammation of the heart muscle itself, uh, sometimes causing long-lasting problems. It can cause uh, clots uh, in various uh, tissues, including uh, in the heart. And so these are are very uh, serious and worrisome findings. Uh, talking with Dr. Rupp, Professor and Chief of Infectious Diseases at the Nebraska Medical Center. Uh, I know there's probably still quite a bit we we have yet to learn about the long-term effects of coronavirus, but for the athletes that do ultimately catch coronavirus, can they safely resume physical activities, kind of strenuous exercise once they are COVID negative, or are there still risks associated to their own personal health uh, once they do have it and, and technically they get it through their system? Right. So I think that, um, you know, the the percentages that have been batted around uh, still hold true that the majority of people who contract this disease uh, have relatively mild disease and do just fine. And so, uh, again, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 80 percent of uh, patients who develop this, um, you know, have a mild disease. Some are completely asymptomatic. And I think the long-term uh, effects in, in the vast majority of people are pretty uh, minimal, if existent at all. Now, there are folks who do get clinically ill and uh, some that, that uh, lose their lives from this infection. 
Um, those who recover fully, you know, we think that, again, most people uh, recover fully. They don't seem to have long-lasting sequelae. But there are folks who, um, you know, do have long-term symptoms. Uh, sometimes we're, we're calling these uh, the long haulers. Uh, these are people who continue to have malaise and uh, fatigue and low-grade fevers and just don't feel well. Uh, sometimes uh, they don't have mental sharpness, and these can go on for months. So uh, we are seeing more and more uh, of the longer-term sequelae for folks uh, over time, and we're learning more about this. So it's hard to give a completely uh, ironclad uh, sort of uh, um, you know answer, uh, but uh, as we understand it now, the majority of folks uh, do well, uh, don't have long-term sequelae, can go back to full activity. The data shows that older patients typically have a much more difficult time with this disease, but what risk can this still pose to, to even younger and, and, and healthy athletes? Yeah, as you've noted, um, the folks who have the largest proportion of um, adverse events, uh, those with mortality, uh, those ending up in the hospital or in our ICU are typically older folks. Uh, they also typically have multiple underlying diseases. So um, obesity is one that we've seen, people with high blood pressure, diabetes, underlying cardiovascular disease, those who are immunosuppressed. Uh, those are the things that all of your listeners have heard over and over again. Uh, but we also do see, um, in some instances, young people, uh, oftentimes without any of these pre-existing conditions um, on occasion develop uh, severe disease, ending up in the hospital or RCU or even uh, losing their lives. There's also a, a relatively rare condition that we're seeing in young children, um, a multi-system inflammatory disease. It bears a lot of resemblance to something that's been called uh, Kawasaki syndrome, and this has been known for, for decades. Uh, but we're seeing this uh, Kawasaki syndrome, or it goes by the name uh, um, mucocutaneous uh, lymph node syndrome. So uh, these folks have a rash, they have inflammation of their mucous membranes and, and inflamed uh, lymph nodes, as well as uh, inflammatory response in various other organs. And so we're seeing that uh, relatively rarely, but um, again, with the millions of cases that have been seen in the U.S., we're noting this association between COVID and uh, Kawasaki's disease, or again, this uh, multi-inflammatory, multi-organ inflammatory syndrome, uh, even in, in young children. Um, so again, there's a lot of curveballs this virus is throwing at us. Um, we don't understand all of the manifestations of it uh, at this point, uh, but there certainly is, is uh, a reason to not not be cavalier about this disease, um, even in young, healthy folks. Um, you can get seriously ill. You can end up in the hospital or even, even lose your life. Talk with Dr. Rupp, the professor and chief of infectious diseases at the Nebraska Medical Center. I'm curious, uh, doctor, with students going back to school now and, and considering that there are things like asymptomatic transmission, um, how concerned are you that we could start seeing massive surges and spikes in COVID cases around the country? Or are you confident that social distancing measures and, and mass wearing uh, could mitigate something like that? Well, um, you know, time will tell, but... Uh, 
the bottom line is that your best protection is through physical distancing. And, uh, you know, the further apart that you can maintain uh, from your fellow human beings, the better off you're going to be. Uh, this is particularly true in indoor um, air situations in which there's a shared airspace. And so I know that folks have kind of heard this over and over again that uh, six feet is, um, you know, the distance that you have to maintain. I would regard that as kind of a minimal uh, safe distance for folks. And this is uh, particularly true um, more so in indoor shared airspaces. So uh, when you're in a small place where the air is shared, uh, even that six-foot distance may not be protective. So that's when it becomes even more important that everybody is wearing a mask, uh, both the person who may be shedding the virus as well as the person who is susceptible. Um, those two things together can go an awful long ways, however, in trying to uh, mitigate uh, spread, so distancing and mask wearing. And then there's obviously a role also for good hand hygiene so that we don't inoculate this virus to our face, to our mucous membranes, our eyes, our nose, our mouth, and also uh, some importance with uh, cleaning surfaces. Um, that's probably less important than the other things that I've already mentioned. So hopefully with uh, those things in place, we can prevent large-scale outbreaks. Uh, but, you know, if people relax their guard, if they've got, uh, you know, quarantine fatigue and they're, um, you know, out there in close proximity to one another, they can certainly cause uh, spread of the disease. So I think that, you know, most of us are, are hopeful that people will be really careful, but we also know that, um, you know, um, kids will be kids and uh, young adults will be young adults. And, um, you know, we've certainly seen all kinds of examples on the media of people uh, crowded together at the beach or at parties. And, you know, already there are um, a handful of outbreaks that are occurring on college campuses. So I think uh, a lot of us are also kind of fatalistic saying, yeah, we're going to see some upswing in cases uh, related to, to people going back to school. Well, just one last question for you, doctor, before we let you go here. Um, you know, besides a vaccine, is there a pathway to getting back to some sense of normalcy? And, and is that, you know, access to regular and, and rapid testing? Well, testing certainly plays a role, but, uh, you know, we're not going to test our way out of this uh, pandemic. So uh, um, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, because some of my colleagues in the lab have just been working heroically to uh, try to expand our testing capacity, but it continues to be a real sore spot in the country overall. And uh, we've just had, a, a, you know, problems with a, one thing after another, either it's a lack of reagents or lack of swabs or, uh, you know, lack of something uh, that prevents us from being able to um, expand our testing capacity. So, um, you know, there is a lot of work being done on um, sort of point-of-use tests. These typically would have less sensitivity, but I think if they're employed uh, maybe more broadly, they may have uh, some utility in trying to mass screen um, larger numbers of folks. Um, clearly, the test that we have now with, uh, you know, relying upon the PCR and a molecular test is it's just, it's just not feasible to uh, test the number of folks that we would need in order to do some of this mass screening on campuses. 
Um, you know, if the testing is not coupled by people taking action, so uh, if they don't, if the results don't come back quickly, if we don't do contact tracing and get folks uh, into quarantine and try to figure out uh, who it is that they've been in contact with and then uh, contact those people and instruct them to potentially uh, be on the lookout and also be in quarantine, uh, the tests really don't do much good. And so it really takes a combination of things, um, test availability, the turnaround time, coupled with public health. Uh, all of these have to come together in order for tests to have their maximum utility. Um, now, having said that, uh, you know, this clearly is part of the equation in containing uh, campus uh, um, outbreaks. And so, uh, yes, we do need to employ uh, testing and, and do it aggressively. Well, Dr. Rupp, I wanted to thank you, of course, for the information and definitely for your time. Appreciate it, sir. You're very welcome. Glad to join you. And, uh, you know, let's hope that we can get back to school uh, safely and that, uh, again, some of these sports are inherently uh, going to be uh, not completely safe, but maybe we can figure out some ways of doing them in a way that uh, will allow us to enjoy sports. It's Dr. Mark Rupp from UNMC. Fascinating interview and, and interesting fella, Tim. I, 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 I'm sure you enjoyed that. He was interesting to listen to. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of what he had to say is, is really enlightening because if you're like me and you're kind of an idiot and you're trying to parse through all this COVID information, he really laid it out straight and said, here are the risks. And, and the one thing he said that was really eye-opening is talking about when you're indoors and that six feet is really that bare minimum of a distance. And if you're indoors, you know, at the grocery store or wherever, probably ought to be a little bit further away so there's just a lot of stuff we're still learning about this virus but yeah interesting guy and, and definitely glad we got a chance to talk to him nothing good on tv anymore struggling to find something to watch there's no crying in baseball well we've got you covered i'm gonna make him an offer he can with you all right mr demille i'm ready for my close-up it's time now for sports nightly flicks picks and Action. All right, boys, let's go around the horn. What have we been looking at here in the last seven days? Ben, you can lead us off. Yeah, so I've been looking for something that, uh, that you know, some good husband time, some dad alone time. We've been watching a lot of shows together with my wife, um, but something that I know she's probably not super into and something I've been wanting to watch for a long time, and I've, I've seen some episodes before, but... I'm all in on Band of Brothers uh, now, Ooh. so I'm going to go back and watch those. I love old war movies. Saving Private Ryan's my favorite movie. Um, I know Tim may disagree with that. Probably have some sort of you know cryptic response to <laughs> some some scenes or some some cliche actors or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of, of the old war movies, and so Band of Brothers is is something that that has piqued my interest for a long time, and I finally got I've gotten through a couple of episodes now and. Its reputation is, uh, it's lived up to it with the amount of gore and the amount of uh, language that's in there, but it is truly, it's a really good show so far. Well, what makes you think I'm taking swipes at, uh, at either Band of Brothers or Saving Private Ryan? Maybe too How, mainstream, too cliche. Well, so I will say this, um, among film snobs, Saving Private Ryan gets some digs because it's viewed as a little too sentimental. However, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I can see it to an extent, but I will say this. I think Band of Brothers actually does far exceed Saving Private Ryan. I, 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 love, I love Band of Brothers. Anyway, right, neither here nor there. Well, gentlemen, uh, speaking of epic war thrillers, uh, I don't have an epic war thriller. I watched Pride and Prejudice on Netflix. Here's a trailer. <laughs> yeah. He's here. 
Is he amiable? Is he handsome? He's single. Pebbles. No! Oh my goodness! Everybody behave naturally. Mr. Collins, at your service. So this probably requires some explanation. Uh, what yeah. is a 24-year-old dude watching P&P for? Well, my mother grew up a Jane Austen superfan and watched that BBC miniseries with Colin Firth in it like a thousand times, and I angrily resisted watching it forever. And then finally I got a Kindle, and one of the free books was Pride and Prejudice. I was like, hey, you know what? Let's see what I was missing. Well, it turns out <laughs> not a whole lot. A lot of it felt kind of like punishment trying to get through that novel. But, you know, it, it is considered a masterpiece, and you can kind of see why, but uh, not my cup of tea to use a, an English witticism. However, uh, I did want to check out the Netflix film because, hey, it was on Netflix, and it had Kira Knightley in it. And uh, that was my <laughs> that was my hook in a Pride and Prejudice, and it's 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 fine. I, I mean, it's like it's on Netflix. So if you're really really curious, if you're really into romance, I mean, sure. I I think Mr. Darcy looks like a troll, though. That's kind of my <laughs> takeaway. Look at Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice 2005. Uh, yeah, and Keira Knightley, her like she's got like a lot of facial expressions going on. It always looks like she's kind of like snarling so i don't know how to describe that but you know hey pnp it's a classic for a reason it's decent uh it's what i it's the only thing i watched this week so there you have it there i do like it. looking at kira knightley yeah that's yeah, not bad he's easy, easy on the eyes as they yep. say austin you have something uh, well, yeah, I think, Ben, you're going a little soft. I mean, Saving Private Ryan is practically one of Tim's foreign films as far overseas <laughs> as it's said. And Tim stays on that uh, overseas film thing with Pride and Prejudice being set in the U.K. But I go completely off the globe for what I've been watching. Uh, my fiance and I are still going through Space Force, so we're a couple episodes Ugh, into that. It sucks. We're, you know, we're yes, Tim. It. It's, Agreed. It's, I've seen know, three it's episodes. It's fine. It's, it's you, just lazy watching. It's bad. It's you fine. should feel bad for liking it, Austin. That's what I say. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> uh, all right, Yellowstone season finale Sunday night. Man, what a show. I'm one behind. I haven't seen the last one, so i got to get that so I'm ready for the finale on Sunday night. And my wife and I are in the season four on Schitt's Creek. What a great, great, great show. show. Yeah. All right, boys. Good show here tonight. Enjoy this one. Tomorrow night, Parker Gabriel is going to join us. He was part of that sit-down interview this afternoon with Bill Moose. We'll get uh, some insight into that interview with Parker tomorrow night. Also, we'll have our weekend preview, weekend review, and all the latest headlines of the day. Looking forward to tomorrow night's show. Sports Alley Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Austin, and to all of you. Enjoy the rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Good night.